And welcome once again to another edition of A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf. On the phone line with us today is P. Andrew Sandlin. He is the president of the Center for Cultural Leadership. Uh, Andrew, it's an honor to have you on with us today. Thank you, Dan. I've uh, known of your work for a while, and it's good finally to, to talk to you. <laughs> and I've certainly uh, read some of your work, so it's uh, it's a delight to have you on the air with us. Um, you recently wrote an article that caught my attention, Andrew, about um, its title was To Re-Christendom the World. And kind of an unusual title, I suppose, but it, it caught my eye, and uh, I'm always interested in the effect of the gospel, the pervasive effect of the gospel, in a way that perhaps Abraham Kuyper might have understood it, or Bavink, or one of those men of God, or Cornelius mm-hmm. Van Til. Um, so uh, I'm wondering if you can explain what you were writing about in your article a little bit, and hopefully um, the Lord will use our discussion today to light a fire under us, as it were, <laughs> to be light and salt in this in this dark world in which we live that Christ is bringing to himself. Yes. Um, well, uh, it is kind of a clumsy title, but it's, I think, an accurate one. Um, to speak of uh, re-Christendom, I think we first need to understand what Christendom was, um, because we live in a world that has been de-Christendomed, Mm. Um, we often don't even think in terms of Christendom. I mean, Christendom essentially is the uh, period from, oh, we could say maybe the, um, particularly the, the 400s in the West through, oh, probably um, uh, through much of the 18th century in much of the Western world, certainly the English-speaking world and in Northern Europe, uh, in which Christianity, uh, not always a perfect Christianity, there is no such thing on this earth, but nonetheless Christianity, tended to influence virtually all areas uh, of life. We couldn't think about um, what we would today term economic issues, or music, or the arts, or education, or science, or technology, or any of those things, apart from some reference to to Christianity. Uh, during part of that time, of course, it was uh, the beginning, and it was the largely uh, the Roman Catholic Church that influenced uh, the culture. But then later on, uh, after the 1500s, it was it was Protestantism and various kinds in Holland, as you've indicated. And that tradition came down to the 19th and 20th centuries. But even Puritanism, American and English Puritanism, and Huguenots in France, and and so on. Um, the bottom line is that is that when when one stepped into the world, as it were, or birthed into the world, he was birthed into what is by and large a Christian society. A Christian doesn't mean everybody trusts in Christ. Perhaps at times even most people have not trusted in Christ, in particular in specific countries or areas. But life itself was influenced and shaped largely, though not entirely, by the, the Christian faith and the Bible. Um, I like to say that you were birthed uh, into a Christian society, and you lived, and you worked, and you worshipped, and you thought, and you loved and fought and died in a Christian society. 
um, the European Enlightenment in particular, and later Romanticism and Existentialism, all these Darwinism, all these other sort of more modern isms, has tended to undermine uh, Christian society. Uh, and so today, when we hear Christendom, it has a strange ring to it. Um, the reason I wanted to use that term, re-Christendom uh, society, is to distinguish it largely from uh, simply um, what some people call Christianization, or just sort of evangelizing. Mm -hmm. Some people will say, well, we need to get the gospel to the world, and if we get enough people converted, uh, then that's, that's essentially our goal. Well, that certainly is a goal, and a vital goal, and one I'm sure you and I and most of your listeners would support. Sure. But that's not quite the same thing that I'm talking about. It's not the number of Christians, per se. It's not even the vitality of uh, the individual, uh, the Christian faith and the life of individuals or churches. Rather, it's the, it's the vitality of the Christian faith as it reshapes culture and social institutions. And by that, of course, I mean the schools, including the universities and the arts, uh, artists uh, in our world today, that would mean culture, including uh, pop culture, and uh, technology, and uh, the sciences, and all areas of modern life and thought. So it's really possible, as actually a, a theologian of Christian culture, Christopher Dawson once said, I'm kind of paraphrasing, but essentially what he says is he said, it's possible to have uh, a world in which many people, many, many people are Christians, and yet not have a Christian world. Yeah. Um, and that, that seems odd to us. But So it's not just more Christianity we need, Dan. It's more relevant, culture-shaping Christianity. That's kind of a summary of what I think I was, many of the things I was trying to say in the article you're referring to. Yeah, that's very helpful. Um, we're having this discussion today, and it's on the heels of a book I'm reading. Maybe you know of it, uh, Andrew. It's uh, about C.S. Lewis during a time of war. And uh, it, it talks about his life and working with the BBC. Yeah. And one thing I was I was starting to feel as I was reading this book, I'm not all the way through it yet, was there was a there was a lot more cognizance of the Christian faith in those days during the 1940s, certainly than there is even now. And uh, you know, you spoke during the time period of 400 A.D. to the 18th century, certainly. But even there's still a, a trickle effect, if you will, in, into the 1940s and that sort of thing. And I, I was uh, almost shocked to realize that, hey, here's the BBC, and uh, part of their broadcast day includes these Christian segments. Yeah, it, that's, I, I could not agree more. And not only in Britain, but even in the United States, I was actually watching one of the early John Wayne classic movies recently from the 1940s. And struck by, uh, I noticed, and these are all presumably unbelieving men. I mean, at least we wouldn't know from their actions that they specifically were committed to the church and orthodoxy and so on. And yet, interestingly enough, around the campfire, they're, they're praying. The first thing they do, and there's no explanation of it, and nobody objects to it. No. And there are other things throughout this particular movie. What I would call, I like to call then artifacts and relics. Artifacts right. and relics of the Christian faith. Uh, that are there and it just easily just easily communicated, uh, assumed at every point. So I agree with you that throughout the 40s and I would say even the 50s, uh, there was both in England and the United States uh, this sort of inherited capital right. of of Christendom that's been lost in in our country and in, in its 
largely uh, the 60s that helped put it to rest. And uh, we've even had a remarkable acceleration in de-Christianization in the Obama years. And certainly not specifically blaming him, though certainly on his watch. Um, and uh, that's something we have to deal with. It, I think it's fair to say, Dan, that we do live in a different conceptual universe today, we might say, a different mm. conceptual universe than the 40s. Things we took for granted back then uh, are not taken for granted today. Um, this is a huge subject, and it's easy to get discouraged. Um, you know, we, we're going through a time, kind of a low time, perhaps, right now. <laughs> and That's right. We know we need a revival, a spiritual awakening, uh, a great awakening, but we also need this uh, cultural transformation as we're reformed, if you will, in all areas of life. You know, it's very important, of course, to have relationship with the Lord, to be born again of the Spirit of God, uh, a sovereign work of God's grace. And at the same time, that should result in obedience to Christ in whatever area I'm working at. Um, can you talk about how the what what does it look like? Let's say that as as the Lord sends revival, and also as the Lord starts uh, instructing the people in, in walking in His ways, what does a society start to look like? That's a key question, Dan. I think one of the most important ones people can ask. Um, I think the problem we have today, or at least one major problem, is that there has been a tendency to see our responsibility to God as almost entirely vertical, our personal relationship to Him, or if it's horizontal, in more of what we would call a private way, perhaps in our families, and of course that is fundamental, or most in our churches, or maybe even beyond that just to evangelize a few. But I would say the key is, and when I talk to people all over, I say not everybody can be a world changer, but you can be an influencer and change the world around you. So the key is to trust in Christ for salvation, as many of your listeners have, to influence others to trust in Christ for salvation, to speak of God's authority and his moral law in any area of life. Now, let's make this very practical. Um, I have a number of friends that work in the auto industry. Well, if you own um, an automobile shop or you're a mechanic, you want to do what you do to the glory of God. You want to employ biblical moral business practices, explicitly Christian business practices, and when you talk to people, implicitly and explicitly, influence others to do the same thing. Mm. In other words, in very tactile ways, and this uh, also refers to if you're working in technology, if you're writing code for a living, um, I don't care if you're a salesperson, uh, obviously if you're a teacher, um, if you're, uh, if it's something as as mundane as, as proverbially digging ditches for a living, you want to say and do things and work in such a way that the kingdom of God is reflected in what you do and what you say. Because really the kingdom of God in the Bible, the Basileia, is the reign of God. So wherever the reign of God is extended, wherever God is recognized tru- uh, truthfully, not just the family and church, but anywhere, there is a reflection of the kingdom of God. So if we individuals understand we're responsible not just to be, quote, right with God, we also need to be right with his world and the culture, if I may put it that way. Hmm. We need to act in a culturally uh, influencing way. Some of the theologians you mentioned would often speak of the cultural 
mandate given in Genesis. It's one of the creational norms that God established for uh, man and woman to exercise loving uh, dominion and stewardship. It's as though God's deputizing man. Of course, God doesn't need man. I mean, God could directly exercise dominion in the earth, couldn't he? But he's chosen not to do that. He's given that to us as its image bearers. Well, when we trust in Christ, we're restored to a place where we can do that very effectively. And I don't care if that's a homeschooling mom. I don't care if it's a student in college. I don't care if it's a multi-billionaire. I don't care if it's someone who, like you, is working to spread the news via modern media, radio, and so on. Each of us has the responsibility to do that in very practical, tactile ways. Mm, yeah, good point. Now, one of the things you've been doing, apparently, is this uh, Center for Cultural Leadership. And you know what? I I haven't taken the time to really look into that. I'm wondering if you can share with our listeners, Andrew, what is that all about? Yeah, that's our think tank. It's been around for 15 years. Um, the goal is very much in line with what Dan, you and I have talked about. That is influencing Christians to think and act in distinctively Christian ways wherever we are. So cultural leadership doesn't only mean, well, obviously, everybody can't be a president, everybody can't be a CEO, everybody can't be in a prominent position, but wherever we are as Christians, we have a responsibility to extend the reign of God in our in our culture horizontally. So uh, we, of course, our website uh, is christianculture.com, there's stuff there, and we blog. I blog at Doc Allen, and we have several other scholars on staff that blog, and you can see that on the website. And we publish books, probably four or five books a year, and I speak at various events like the Wilberforce Academy in uh, in England, uh, in uh, in London, and uh, a Blackstone Legal Fellowship for the Alliance Defending Freedom. We're just launching up in the Niagara region, the Evan Runner. Academy influencing younger young people, but older ones too, to think and act in a distinctively Christian way. So the point is, sort of as Francis Schaeffer would have said, the late Francis Schaeffer, the Lordship of Christ in the totality of life, mm. which is what, of course, Kuyper and Bovink and Van Til and others in that uh, tradition would have talked about. And more importantly, it's not just the tradition. I mean, it's what the Bible teaches, not just in the uh, the cultural mandate, but Paul says, and whatever we do, we should do all to the glory of God, and everything. He says, even something as minor as eating and drinking, which we think is just kind of mundane, and yet in everything we do, we're to do all for God's glory. Well, what CCL does is try to influence people in specific ways to bring glory to God and extend His reign in the earth in whatever they do. Mm. That's excellent. Yeah, I was uh, reading about you, and you uh, also have been the, uh, what, the de Young Distinguished Visiting Professor of Culture and Theology at Edinburgh Theological Seminary. Yes, that's down in Texas. That's actually, <laughs> it's interesting, that's the uh, that's the American extension of Juan Calvino Seminary in Mexico City. That sounds a little familiar, of course. That's the Spanish <laughs> for John Calvin. Yeah. So we don't often think of Mexico as being a haven for the Reformed, and historically they haven't been, but there are some there, and... Um, uh, like you, uh, I'm very comfortable operating in circles of people who recognize this this cultural responsibility. Yes, um, we tend to, although we appreciate, disagree with our brothers and sisters who think that the Christian life is basically about getting saved and preparing for heaven. It seems as though it's it's more than that. God mm. calls us to an, a, a very important earthly task 
to spread the kingdom of Jesus Christ and the, the truth of the Word of God in all areas of life. Yeah, yeah. It's um, I, I hate to use the worn-out phrase, but it's kind of like a no-brainer. It's like, you know, I'm yeah. part of a new family now, and therefore I'm going to live this way. <laughs> and, yeah. and God's given us a rule book that, that applies to all of life. I mean, this is, well, I'm getting, uh, I'm preaching to the choir. It's kind of simple. But, um, you know, this is kind of the capstone uh, of, uh, of a series that we've been doing, Andrew. And today we were talking with P. Andrew Sandlin of uh, Coulterville, California. Um, the 500th anniversary of the Protestant Reformation was celebrated some four years ago. And um, th- that was used of God mightily. And, and still is in in transforming society, and I, I think this just naturally fits with the 500th anniversary. It does, and I, I mean, think only of this. There are a number of things we could say, but one area in which the reformers uh, disagreed with the Roman Catholic Church is they thought that the the Roman Church tended to sequester spirituality often and sort of push it off into the institutional church or in monasteries or in nunneries. And I think as one scholar put it, um, how did he say, he said sort of specialized spirituality. <laughs> spirituality became a specialty. Um, when essentially the Reformers, starting with Luther, wanted to say that, well, no, everyone, everyone is in some sense a priest. Everyone has a responsibility in his own vocation. And therefore Protestants stressed what has been called, and I love this expression, Dan, the sanctification of vocation. The mm-hmm. sanctification of vocation. Amen. That it's not just the pastors and not just the missionaries, the Christian school teachers, vital though they are, but, I mean, if God calls you to write computer code for a living, or if he calls you to drive uh, an Uber vehicle for a living, or if he calls you to work in a factory for a living, if you do it according to the Word of God and for the glory of God and influence others in doing it, well, your calling is every bit a sacred calling as the, as the pastor or the missionary. Mm. So I think in that way, as in others, the Protestant Reformation really contributed to the very thing we're talking about. Oh, that's this is just a wonderful concept, the sanctification of vocation. Um, in, in, in talking about this also, Andrew, um, it doesn't mean that every five minutes or ten minutes we're talking about Jesus. No, that's right. In fact, I think it's interesting we— <laughs> The Bible speaks, there's a specific case of the believing wives, you recall, in Peter, and he's, he says to them, he says, now these unbelieving husbands won't be won over by the Word. Well, they will, of course, by the Word of God, but that's not what he means, mm-hmm. by simply talking to them, but by living in a way that demonstrates the truth of the Word of God. Now, this isn't a question of either or. Of course, we're supposed to declare the gospel, but we need to understand that influencing your culture requires more than just sort of orality. That is simply talking the gospel. We have to live in such a way as to extend the kingdom of God, and when people see that, see how we act, and we act according to the Word of God, little by little, people's lives and minds and hearts are changed, some are converted, and here's the key, Dan. Even those who are not converted, nonetheless, can recognize the value of God's way of doing things. Mm. And that's why the principles and laws of God, even for unbelievers, even for unbelievers, if they're willing to conform to some degree to to God's principles and truths and laws, they will live um, temporally better lives, and God in His common grace, not as a redemptive grace, common grace will bless them 
and will bless society. Mm. So in this way, Christianity contributes to the betterment of society, first, of course, for believers, but even for unbelievers. Right. Yeah. Oh, it's rich. <laughs> um, now, I notice... Um I uh, I noticed that you, in the past, you're currently the founder, president of the Center for Cultural Leadership, and in the past you have pastored, I believe, two churches, and now God has moved you into this phase of your life. Um, what was it like being a pastor? Well, I mean, uh, I grew up in a, uh, a uh, pastor's family. My father was a pastor, and he's now in his 80s, but pastor, and also a missionary to Northern Ireland, and... Mm an itinerant preacher and um, conference speaker and so on. Uh, so I grew up in the church. Um, I Some aspects of the pastorate I really enjoyed, and I think all pastors would agree some are quite difficult. Yeah, uh, We have to be honest about it. But um, I love preaching the Word and uh, sharing the truth of God with people and maintaining orthodoxy and administer, administering the sacraments, some call the ordinances. Uh, so the church has a vital role to play in the kingdom of God. We can never marginalize the Church. It's needed. Um, On the other hand, we need to be careful not to say that the Church is everything. So um, the Church is a vital part of God's plan, and the family is, and the state is politics, though it should not have the exalted role that it has today. (laughs) Uh, So we can't marginalize any of them. But the kingdom of God is bigger than all of them, and that's really the key that Mm. important thing is the Bible says, Jesus says, seek ye first the kingdom, not the ecclesia, not the church, but the kingdom. And if we seek the kingdom first, then we'll put the church and family and these other things in their proper place. Was it appropriate what um, Brother uh, Kuyper did by referring to spheres? Yeah, sphere sovereignty, I believe the Bible doesn't, the Bible doesn't use that language, but I think it really implies that. Hmm. Um he was arguing against the medieval idea that the church as an institution should govern all of life. I mean, if we uh, we can't do it, of course, on the radio, but if you can, in your mind's eye, see sort of a graph in which at the top is God, and then below God is the institutional church, and underneath the church, receiving its sort of shower of blessing, is uh, all the rest of life, um, the family and, and the state and all these other things. So God, as it were, pours out his blessings through this nozzle of the Church, and through the nozzle of the Church, all of this wonderful life-giving water comes out. Um, Kuiper didn't agree with that. He believed that um, in the Bible, it's essentially God is at the top, and God, the nozzle is right under God. <laughs> this wonderful life-giving water through Jesus Christ comes out equally on the Church, family, state, other institutions, and each has its own separate role to play, though they all should work together the, the church can't arrogate to itself the authority of the state. The family can't arrogate to itself authority of the church, authority of the church, and these others, vice versa. They've all got a separate role to play, which is to say they're they're sovereign. They have a limited sovereignty in their own sphere under God's authority. So this is a check and a balance on sovereignty and power. It's really a beautiful paradigm, and I think the Bible uh, teaches it, implies it, I should say. Yeah, that's really neat. Um our listeners will recognize his famous quote where he said, there is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign overall, does not cry mine. I just love that quote. It is, and I think if more Christians um, thought about it and in thinking about it, ask God, God, help me to implement 
the truth of that in my life. I think we would have a better church and our society would be much more God-glorifying. We, we can't say there's any zone of neutrality anywhere. Mm. We can't say, Dan, well, I'm not going to—Christians should not be involved in politics because it's dirty. Ironically, it's almost cyclical. Christians withdraw from politics, and sure enough, it becomes dirty. That's right. Uh, we, we, we can't say that there's an area of life that Jesus Christ is not interested in. We do say Jesus is Lord, and implicit in that, Jesus is Lord of all. I sometimes ask people, is there any area of human life and endeavor over which Jesus Christ is not Lord? (laughs) And of course, nobody dares raise his or her hand. I said, well, if that is the case, then what we're really saying is that everything should stand, in a very practical way, under the Lordship of Christ, and we should work to conform it to his will. And like you said, it really is a no-brainer. Yeah, amen. Well, today we've been talking with P. Andrew Sandlin. He's the founder and president of the Center for Cultural Leadership. In his past, he's pastored two churches and a very busy man traveling around, giving lectures and helping people understand the the gospel as it applies to all of life. And Andrew, again, uh, maybe you could give the folks uh, your website uh, before the end of the interview here today. You bet. Thanks, Dan. It's uh, easy to remember. It's Christian Culture, written solidly as over one word. ChristianCulture.com. Just go click on there, and it'll have all the links to tell what we're about and uh, where you can read stuff and order books and all those things. And uh, if you like, contact me, send me an email. I'll do my best to answer and hope I can meet some of your listeners on the road one day. Well, Andrew, it's a, it's an honor today to talk with you, and thank you very much. And Dear listener, in three days, we'll be celebrating the 500th anniversary of the Protestant Reformation, and this is the capstone program uh, for this entire series here on Plain Answer. Andrew, thank you for joining us. Thanks so much, Dan. God bless you. Dear listener, please join us next week for another edition of A Plain Answer.